Welcome to Aerospace Unplugged. I'm Adam Kress. On today's podcast, we're going to cover a lot of ground. Look back at how we got here, and we're also going to talk about what's ahead. We're also going to cover the entire globe, and we're even going to go beyond it. Today's topic, the defense and space sectors, and more specifically, Honeywell's legacy in these sectors and its path forward in each. Now, there's no doubt it's a rapidly changing world and one that seems to be increasingly on edge, particularly since Russia's invasion of Ukraine more than a year and a half ago, the defense sector has been on high alert and it's been busy. Demand is high and that doesn't look to change anytime soon. Matt Milas is experiencing that up close and personal. As the president of Honeywell's defense and space business, Matt routinely talks with customers around the globe. He has an insider's view of what militaries and space agencies around the globe want and what they need. Today, I'll talk to Matt about how technology continues to evolve in the defense sector and how modern warfare is quite literally entering space. I'll also talk to Matt about Honeywell's long history, building everything from tank engines to avionics that help astronauts navigate through outer space. So let's welcome Matt to the Aerospace Unplugged podcast. Thanks for joining me today, Matt. Thanks. Glad to be here, Adam. All right. Like I said, we're going to cover a lot of ground, but let's just kind of set the stage for our listeners here first. Um, A lot of people don't realize that Honeywell is actually one of the largest defense contractors in the world. Can you tell us a little bit about Honeywell's legacy and how it got here? Yeah, absolutely. So, So Honeywell has a very strong legacy of innovation and performance in the defense market. A lot of the products and capabilities that we produce on the commercial side have a very analogous application on the military side. So generators, wheels and brakes, engines, very similar technologies that we use, uh, but different applications. So what we've been able to do is take a lot of the commercial routes and commercial capabilities uh, that we have, be able to take that and apply it uh, to the military, even from uh, things like navigation and guidance systems, the IMUs that we produce in Minneapolis, those are built on the same production line as uh, military and commercial applications. So when we can use the same technology, the same production, the same suppliers, uh, we're actually able to create a lot of capability at a much lower cost for the government and all of our allies. So I think a lot of the roots from where we came from, from the commercial technologies and the applications, really helps us support the defense needs of the globe. And uh, there's a long history of uh, things like the T-55 engine coming from Lycoming and other uh, components that we've acquired over the years that have come together to give us a very broad capability where we are supporting literally everything flying in the free world. You mentioned the the T-55, the the engine that we create for the Chinook helicopters. I wanted to ask you a little bit more about that. And then, um, you know, maybe what, what are one or two other core products that we provided to, to the U.S. military and its allies for decades? Yeah, so the T-55 engine, a venerable engine that has been on the Chinook since the beginning, and it's continued to evolve and improve up to where we are now in the 714 Alpha uh, engine, which is on the Chinook right now. Uh, we're actually planning to develop a 714 Charlie engine, which will bring a, an additional you know, capability, additional efficiency from fuel efficiency, being able to fly heavier and higher in hot conditions, um, a lot of capability that we're able to bring to that. That's, uh, there's over 1,100 Chinooks flying across the globe used by us and our partners. So it's really incredibly important capability, even used by special operations forces, that we need to provide 
that enhanced capability over time to keep it relevant. And because we've been doing that, the Chinook is still flying mm-hmm. and will likely continue to fly for another several decades and can be another one of those aircraft that has over a hundred year lifespan. So uh, between that and some of the other uh, programs that we have, again, a very strong legacy, a uh, very strong portfolio and a, a big history of how we support our customers across the world. Mm-hmm. Now we've seen a lot in the news lately about Honeywell in regards to the F-35 and specifically a system that Honeywell provides on that fighter jet and it's called the Power and Thermal Management System. Can you provide a little bit of context around that system and also why we've been hearing so much about it lately? Well, the Power and Thermal Management System, or PTMS, is just a revolutionary solution that we brought to the F-35 program during the design phase. You know, By cre- integrating multiple systems together of an integrated power package, uh, putting together the APU e- and uh, e- EPU, as well as the cooling systems and integrating it to the other parts of the aircraft, we're actually able to shave off almost a foot in length and a thousand pounds of weight uh, by integrating the system. Um, That really differentiated what the F-35 was able to do and honestly helped Lockheed Martin win that contest uh, back in the early 2000s. Throughout the the life of it, it's performed extremely well and it has been supporting over 675,000 flight hours on over a thousand F-35s that are out there today. It's really important going forward that the power and thermal management system is able to provide the enhanced cooling capabilities for the block four, which is the next generation of electronic warfare, radar and processing capabilities being added to the F-35. So we're gonna take it from about 30 kilowatts of cooling requirement to about 60 kilowatts of cooling requirement. So we're gonna have to take the PTMS and enhance it to be able to support the new capabilities that are being introduced in the aircraft. Lucky for us, we have a lot of the technology that we've been developing that's going to make that transition very simple and easy, where we can modify and upgrade the existing PTMS system to be able to support that. Again, saving the program and the uh, partners a lot of money and uh, reducing the technical risk of having to strip out uh, the entire guts of the aircraft to replace uh, the PTMS system completely. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it, there's been so much um, in the news around the F-35 lately and all these modernization efforts, but it seems obvious to me what the clear choice going forward should be. Yeah, absolutely. The, the F-35 is an incredible aircraft, has a lot of capabilities, and it's going to get even more capable. Uh, we have over 100 different components that actually go on the F-35, which is an incredible feat, and uh, we are one of the top three suppliers uh, to Lockheed Martin for the F-35. So We have a a very strong position. We have a good partnership with Lockheed, and we are looking at how we can bring the best technologies for the future requirements of the aircraft to keep it flying for decades to come. Mm -hmm. So in a little bit broader sense, what role does Honeywell Technology play in helping with all the um, defense modernization programs, whether it be with the U.S. or its allies? Kind of the future of warfare, if you will. Yeah, so uh, we're present on a lot of the existing legacy fleets and legacy aircraft. And uh, to keep those legacy aircraft relevant and capable in today's environment, you have to add on additional things that are more recent technologies. Some good examples are from a SATCOM perspective, being able to maintain communications in contested environments is vitally important to warfighting. So our JetWave MCX solution is able to provide that uninterrupted uh, satellite communication network for aircraft, even flying in uh, GPS contested environments. So that means that you can operate in battlefields 
and maintain and ensure that you've got con- connectivity and satellite communications to be able to understand where you are, where the enemy is, and how to operate in that type of environment. That is exceptionally crucial in the joint operations that we perform with other countries and allies. We even just went through an exercise called Northern Edge, where we flew the 757 with JetWave using the L3 Harris Hammer modem, which was able to demonstrate that we can operate in those contested environments and jammed environments uh, using secured modems. So it's a really key type of technology. Just one example of the many things that we're doing to keep all of the platforms that are flying today relevant and capable in today's environment. Yeah, modernization, I guess, is, is a, it's a never-ending thing, is it? Yeah, especially these aircraft and uh, the, the, all the platforms that are used by the Department of Defense and our allies do have a very long service life. Uh, they're out there for decades upon decades. And so it's really important that you have technology that you can introduce without having to requalify the entire aircraft or platform and uh, bring some of the latest technologies into that platform and integrate it in a way that it, it adds the, the capabilities that are needed by the warfighters. So it's a never-ending battle. It's one of those things that you continue to find new capabilities that you can bring in there. Threats are constantly evolving, and we must evolve with them. And uh, fortunately, Honeywell has a lot of great technology to help support that across the globe. Okay. Let's shift gears a little bit um, from pure defense uh, into space. So uh, one thing I had read was that Honeywell has been on every NASA human space mission since the 1950s. Is that true? Absolutely. We are proud space nerds at Honeywell, and we love space. Uh, We have a lot of capabilities that we put up into space, whether it's from, you know, uh, manned spaceflight or unmanned spaceflight. Uh, we're present on about 80% of the satellites that are up there. So a lot of our capabilities and technologies are in the subsystems that go into the overall platforms, whether it's the, the space station or space shuttle. You know, we've got a lot of capabilities that we've been providing over the decades and a lot more yet to come. So with some of these technologies that Honeywell has created, I know there's been some on the, the James Webb Space Telescope, on the recent Artemis missions. What are one or two of those technologies that are helping enable those missions? So some of the key technologies that we're providing, again, are the environmental control systems, which is a real big differentiator for Honeywell, something that we have been on all the manned space flights that provides that environmental system that enables us to operate in space. Uh, Another key element is the reaction wheel assemblies, which provides the support and controls for attitude adjustment, which changes the where the the satellite or where the space vehicle is going and how it's operating. So those uh, reaction wheel, it's it's literally something that will spin on a satellite in space to help propel it and keep it in the right direction. Exactly. And keep it pointing in the right direction and making sure that the navigation guidance and pointing uh, is exactly where it needs to be. And that precision is especially important because you're talking about a large distance that we have to cover uh, for satellites that are picking up on uh, whether it be radio frequencies or optical uh, types of satellites. Yeah, you can't just kind of wing it when it comes <laughs> to the direction of where you're headed yeah. in space, right? It's, it's a precise science for sure. How does Honeywell collaborate with other space entities, whether it's government agencies like NASA or working with private space companies as well? So Honeywell is prolific in engaging you know, space agencies as well as space companies that are out there and providing support for over 80% of the satellites that are up in space. So a lot of the capabilities that we bring to them are, are tailored 
for the needs and the applications in space. And what we're seeing now is such a proliferation of capabilities up there. We're actually establishing a lot of the standards of how things are going to be operating in space. A good example is we're working on quantum crypto keys and how we're doing that with the Canadian Space Agency. Uh, once we define that, that's a capability that can span across the globe of how to keep encryption and those quantum crypto keys uh, exchanging information so that we can have a, a protected and uh, communication network, but also have that technology, uh, something that's capable across the globe. Okay. I know um, Honeywell was a big part and is a big part of the Artemis missions that are eventually going to take humans back to the moon and even onto Mars. Um, can, and I know, I, I believe it's avionics technology is one of the core uh, that we have had on the Artemis missions. What should people know about what Honeywell has coming up with Artemis and with those missions in general to help get us back to the moon and to Mars? Well, as proud space nerds, we are very excited about the entire Artemis mission and getting back to the moon. Uh, we've seen some really great, great progress moving in that direction with the Artemis 1 launch and uh, getting a lot of information and, uh, back from that. And we're uh, positioning re to get ready for the Artemis 2 launch and all the capabilities that we provide to Artemis. Uh, we have a very strong relationship with Lockheed Martin on how we've been uh, integrating our systems. If you look at the what the crew operates on when they're in the Artemis uh, uh, pod, yep. that's all Honeywell yep. right there. So it's uh, one of those capabilities that it's very present, very visible, and something that our customers have really appreciated our engagement there and have given us some awards on you know, how well we've performed on the Artemis mission. So. Uh, that's a very exciting one. We look forward to all the capabilities that we can bring to get back to the moon, as well as to create some of those gateway capabilities, you know, on the moon. Mm -hmm. how, how do you see Honeywell um, evolving in its space business, say, over the next decade? I, I know there's more and more satellites going up every day. Uh, there's kind of a renewed interest, I think, among the public about space travel in general, whether it be the Artemis missions or what some of the private space companies are doing. So how does Honeywell kind of align with all that? Yeah, space is one of those markets that is booming. It is just growing beyond anybody's expectations, and it's because there's so much capability that we can put into space. If you think it from it, uh, a defense standpoint, a lot of the missions that we're able to perform in aircraft, you can put in space. So space is becoming the new high ground and it's how we create some of those capabilities and put them into space. Things like missile warning and missile defense and communication networks that can operate in contested environments is going to be critical. That's an area that we are exceptionally good at and ensuring that we stay on all of those different missions uh, to support that. So that's where we get a good cross-link between defense and space is by putting a lot of those missions, a lot of those capabilities into space. We also support a lot of the commercial and international types of capabilities where the satellites are basically giant robots that we're putting up there to collect and share data. Uh, that sharing of data requires a lot of bandwidth and a lot of ability to point and navigate and connect. So our optical inter-satellite links, or OISLs, are a key element of how we're able to support that communication between thousands of satellites that are operating in different planes. That is a really very difficult technical challenge that we're working hard to solve how to accommodate that for the future. Yeah, the, the intersection of defense and space definitely is, is upon us. Space, to, to some, has been called the new battlefield. And really, as of now, in an uncontested environment, 
So what are you hearing from your customers in terms of taking the potential battle to space? Yeah, so there's uh, clearly a lot of things that are happening in space these days. And uh, even if you look at some of the recent media and coverage of uh, things that are happening in there, it's an area that you have to be able to operate in, an area you have to be able to sustain. Mm -hmm. If you took out the GPS satellites, we'd lose navigation. If you took out communication satellites, you'd lose communication. So there's a lot of interest in how do you defeat uh, space assets. And so you got to start thinking about how do you protect space assets because they're critical to our current warfighting position. So being able to ensure that we can sustain and support what's in space and give them capabilities to defend themselves in space, uh, that's a a key element of it. But also it's what other missions can you put in space uh, that would be beneficial that you don't have to operate in contested environments, directly contested, that might be a little bit further out of reach. So it's looking at a lot of those uh, types of areas that allow us to uh, operate in, uh, under those different threats. Has Honeywell developed technologies for the space business that have ended up having defense applications or vice versa? Well, very similar to our defense uh, background and heritage, we take a lot of commercial capabilities and then apply them over to the defense side. Mm-hmm. But right now, what we're seeing is a lot more of defense capabilities, really pushing the edge and the boundaries of what's happening in space. That's where a lot of the investments have been made by the U.S. government, as well as a lot of international partners to provide the types of uh, the surveillance, reconnaissance, communications, and other capabilities that have broader applications of things that we can bring over to the commercial side. So a lot of the customers' investments and funding into the technologies that we're developing set us up to, to be in a position where we can expand what we're doing on the commercial side and bring a lot of those capabilities to the general public. Do you see commercial space travel, um, everyday people or relatively everyday people being able to, to, to take flights soon? I mean, I, mean, I know, um, you know some of the new space companies, uh, Virgin, Blue Origin, they're, they're, they're moving toward that. But how realistic is it, do you think, to get everyday people into space? Well, commercial space travel is one of those, or space tourism, is one of those things that I think is going to be new and exciting and fun, and I will definitely be signing up once it gets more (laughs) affordable. So I think that's going to be the key, right? How do you make it more affordable? And what we've seen is the cost per kilogram to launch has been going down considerably. Back in the space shuttle age, it was around $85,000 per kilogram to launch. Now we're in the under $1,000 range to launch, especially when we look at new applications new vehicles. Uh, SpaceX has really broken a lot of the barriers uh, that have prevented us from doing launches by having recoverable booster tanks and things like that. Um, It's really going to be how we can increase the amount of launches and reduce the cost of each of those launches. That's going to enable us to do more innovative, creative things, put more infrastructure in space and allow for that greater space tourism. You mentioned what SpaceX is doing, but what, what are other ways that, that cost is just being driven down? So the, the primary ways that uh, cost is being driven down is, uh, number one, volume. You know, the more volume that you have, there's a natural reduction in overall cost. So when you can get a higher volume of launches, you can spread that cost and amortize it over a, a much larger base. So that, that in and of itself helps. Being able to recover and reuse a lot of the uh, systems that were previously discarded or or uh, not reused is one of those areas that they made a big difference. Having recoverable autonomous uh, rockets that land on uh, pads 
uh, allows you to reuse it. We're now getting into additive. So a lot of the engines and the engine capabilities, you know, using additive manufacturing to produce, and again, at higher volumes is going to enable them to bring the cost of the uh, Raptor engines down significantly. So it's going to be a lot of those things that naturally happen in, say, aerospace. Uh, the first aerospace adventures, you know, were very costly. And over time, we've been able to get the cost down. Same thing in space. As it becomes more mainstream and we're la- launching more, uh, the cost is going to come down through innovation and bringing in new technologies. Again, pushing the boundaries of what technology and even artificial intelligence can help bring to uh, the industry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the evolution continues, I'm sure. Um, let's learn a little bit more about you, Matt. How did you get into the defense and space business in the first place? Because I know you've worked for a handful of the big aerospace companies in your career. Yes, well, I, so I was born and raised in Michigan. And so okay. all signs were pointing to automotive would <laughs> yes. be the path. Um, and then, uh, you know, as I was getting out of school, I actually uh, met somebody who was a retired Brigadier General out of the Air Force, uh, General Bob Mansfield. And uh, I immediately just was like, wow, I met a retired general today. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd never met a, a general. So it was just one of those things that blew my mind. And uh, I had an offer to go and work for him at a consulting company that dealt with mm-hmm. just all the aerospace and defense primes. And so it was a great opportunity to work for you know, my first mentor and learn directly from a retired general on how defense works. And then uh, really get into the overall uh, aerospace and defense industry, mm-hmm. uh, looking at things like supply chain management, engineering. Um, how do we uh, even? I got my first start on F thirty five and technology refresh uh, types of things. So it it really was a way to. I wasn't expecting it, and yeah. I certainly wasn't thinking that I would end up in aerospace and defense. And yet here I am. <laughs> yeah, I think people fall into it, and it. Um, you know, from all different ways. But uh, once it gets a hold of you, I think it's hard to shake, right? It is. Um, So what brought you to Honeywell? I know you've been here just a little under a year now. Yeah, so Honeywell is one of those companies that you always hear about. If you're in the industry, you know about Honeywell. Mm -hmm. It has a a rich, you know, history uh, and then uh, just a, a legacy of innovation and performance. And so the opportunity to come and lead the defense and space organization for Honeywell is one of those things that you just dream about. Mm-hmm. And uh, having that opportunity uh, is just incredible, especially I see so much growth and so much potential in what Honeywell has. And I, I'm seeing it already with the team that we are just growing like gangbusters. And our customers are loving what we're doing over this past year. And so it's really going to become one of those areas that we continue to grow, not just domestically with the U.S. Uh, market, but the international market has been one of those areas that has been high interest uh, because of a lot of the activities that are going on between Russia and the Ukraine. That has really opened up a lot of people's eyes that yeah. you have to be ready, you have to be capable, and even if you think you're ready, you probably aren't. So that has really created a lot of interest across the board, and I think Honeywell is extremely well-positioned. And being able to lead that engagement and lead that charge and really focus in the areas that uh, have the biggest need and the biggest opportunity has been one of those exciting things that I'm already seeing significant growth coming our way. And uh, a lot of those customers are very happy that we're there and looking forward to partnering with us even more. Mm-hmm. The, both the defense and space sectors are very very long cycle business sort of areas. We, we talked about the T-55 engines that have been flying for over 50 years now. Um, some of these satellites that have Honeywell products on them in orbit are, are up there decades. Um, how do you help foster innovation 
uh, in the business when you know you're dealing with such long cycle prod, uh, you know, products and projects that don't change a ton over time. There's not a lot of brand new, big, flashy things. Right. Now, there's, there's a lot of it that is just, uh, I will say, it's not the sexy stuff, but it's the mm-hmm. stuff that you know, keeps the capability operating, right? Mm-hmm. So even if you can get more efficiency out of a generator, if you can reduce the weight, if you can add some additional uh, levels of visibility to systems, it's one of those things that can be a game changer on the battlefield. And so it's that constant engagement, understanding what's happening out in the field, the logistical impacts of it, and then how do you support that going into the future? I, I liken defense as an annuity, right? It's one of those things that is a very stable foundation of a business. Yeah. If you don't have a good stable base, you know, you're, you're subject to the ebbs and flows of the market. Mm-hmm. Um, with defense, it's pretty stable, right? And so it's one of those things that you invest in, you're on the platform, and you're on the platform for decades. Yep. And you have that opportunity over those decades to continue to look for opportunities to bring new capabilities to the different applications and the different changing environments uh, that you're operating in. So while it may be a little bit boring uh, from a long cycle perspective, and it's not as rapidly fluctuating as, say, technology uh, types of markets, it's one of those stable things that every business is very appreciative of, especially when there's downturns. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm, I, as stable as it is, I'm sure in your career, 20 or so years, you, you've seen changes. Um, you know, whether it be in the world or with the companies you've worked with, what would you say if you look at the kind of the aerospace and defense sector overall, what has changed the most in the past 20 years, would you say? Well, let's see. In the past 20 years, there's been a lot, a lot happening. Yeah. I mean, really, we're talking, um, you know, post the post 9-11 sort of era. Yeah. So there's been a lot of different uh, changes, I'd say, from a we had a counterinsurgency type of battlefront that we were fighting post 9-11, uh, where we were looking at how do we, uh, you know, not a, a pure type of threat. Mm-hmm. And so it really shifted the focus from uh, large armies, large militaries, you know, large form factor uh, types of engagements to more small form factor, or being able to rapidly deploy and deal with uh, IEDs and things like that. Uh, we're now shifting back to more of a pure type of uh, opponent where we have to be thoughtful and mindful of what, what would happen if we had to go to war with a, a Russia or a China, and are we prepared and capable of fighting that, given that we've spent the last couple decades shifting to a more insurgency type of fighting style. Mm-hmm. So a lot of it is getting the capability back to, to the point where we can prevent that kind of pure conflict and demonstrate the strength that we have and the ability to defend ourselves and our allies that would prevent there from being any of that kind of unwanted aggression anywhere across the globe, which is ultimately the goal, right? Sure. We, we don't want to have war. We don't want to have conflict. And the best way to do that is to prevent it in the first place by demonstrating the capability to defend yourself mm-hmm. such that nobody wants to start a fight. Yes, exactly. Well, we have definitely covered a lot of ground today. Uh, but I'm not going to let you off the hook yet. We call the podcast Aerospace Unplugged. Uh, so we always ask everyone at the end, what do you do when you unplug and you're not thinking about work and defense and space? So I am a big movie buff. Uh, oh, okay. I've got a, a home theater set up and I, I really enjoy watching movies. I actually find a lot of analogies in different movies and my team would tell you I probably make too many movie references <laughs> uh, in dialogue, but it's because I just find a lot of similarities and things that you can watch and how it applies to life and a lot of lessons that you can actually pick up from it. So 
that's what I really enjoy doing, sitting back and turning off the lights and uh, mm-hmm. just uh, putting myself someplace different. Well, I know it's, it's an impossible question for a movie buff, but do you have an all-time favorite? Oh, that's, uh, you said it, it's an impossible thing to, to have. <laughs> Whole but, other podcast. Yeah, right? yeah we, we, we could uh, do top three maybe and say, you know, up there is uh, Gladiator, one of those movies that's just, uh, you know, really uh, a great story. Uh, you got Braveheart, another good one, and you, you notice a little bit of a theme here with me. <laughs> and then uh, Interstellar. I actually ah, really yes. enjoyed Interstellar, and uh, so I think that was a great movie, but... It's always, you know, interesting to see what's new and coming out and uh, looking forward to some new ones coming coming through. Yep, definitely. Well, thanks again, Matt, for joining us on the podcast today. Um, it, it was really enlightening just to learn all about what Honeywell does in this space and then to kind of just, you know, dissect where all this technology is headed in general. Also want to thank everyone at home for listening to this edition of Aerospace Unplugged. And if you want to learn even more about Honeywell's technologies in the defense and space sectors, make sure to check out our website for a wide array of information on all these products and capabilities. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you on the next episode of Aerospace Unplugged.